You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline, and Pam Short's broken both her legs, and I want to dance with you. And she's been training for the Pan Pacific Grand Prix since she was six years old. It's Kate Young. It is true. Since I was six, I'm still not ready. I'm still like, could never ready. be less ready. You're an open amateur for me I am to begin to approach amateur. You. <laughs> um, such a, you could I'm have said a- fourteen thousand lines as well. Like every yeah. single one of the lines could have been the opening there. And what's so funny about it is that like there's so many fabulous, mad bonkers pieces of dialogue oh, yeah. in this movie and almost none of them are spoken by the two leads indeed the two leads there is so little dialogue between them yeah between um scott and fran and that yeah they're the, the main love story but it's like no all of their communication happens really through dance really through dance yes even their first kiss is like a three second <laughs> their only kiss is like three seconds and then he goes oh no oh no <laughs> Exactly the response you don't want after this guy you've been fancying for years is like, oh, I will actually, I, I notice you as a human now. Yeah. Let's kiss. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I said I, I'd teach. I, I said I'd I would, Oh, the bongo pongo. The bogo pogo. <laughs> bogo pogo. Yeah. I feel like it changes every time they say <laughs> it slightly. <laughs> Maybe just in my head. So, um... This is, uh, I think listeners will notice this new season has a strong Australian inflection. Indeed. And that's not an accident because I am uh, mentally and physically preparing to go to Australia in <laughs> so October. Exciting. It's so exciting. Uh, I was, I was going to use this um, this opportunity to plug tickets, but they've all sold out. <laughs> Great. Perfect. So um, so look- instead, we're just doing a nice <laughs> nice podcast celebrating your imminent trip to Australia. Yes, exactly. Great, and, and it's like, I, I do... Um, there's obviously there's a limits to what pop culture can give us, and it, sure. it can't completely prepare you for you know the emotional character of a country. But I think Strictly Ballroom can prepare me for Australia. I think it really can. <laughs> and also, I thought really hard about which film we would engage with, or which yeah. piece of art we would engage with that said something about Australia that was interesting. Yeah, and I think what is what really struck me about watching this movie again because I've seen it many times. Mm. I actually studied. Please talk it. about your yeah. <laughs> So strange. So um, the uh, Irish Leaving Cert, which is the sort of our A-levels or what, what are they on in Australia? It's just your like high school certificate. Your, sure. Your, yeah. Basically, it depends on what state you grew up in. Okay. Um, but yeah. See, I'm learning already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Education is a mess, but depending on which state you're in. There is a part of the English Leaving Cert paper called Comparative Lit. And uh, basically, there are a bunch of films novels and plays that are assigned to comparative lit and it is up to your English teacher. I think theoretically it should be up to you. I think what they're trying to encourage is like 
um, engage you know, with these texts. Engage with these texts and also see the relation between texts mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but essentially, your English teacher picks her three favorite things. And it's nice. <laughs> it, it's always a her. <laughs> Great. Yep. And so... In my um, experience too, actually. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the so you, it has to be one book, one play, one movie. The three that we ended up from the sort of like, pa- you know, if you imagine panning in a river for gold and the three nuggets <laughs> that came into our class were Wuthering Heights. Yep. The novel, not, not the song. Indeed. Um, Brian Friel's Philadelphia, Here I Come, <laughs> and Baz Luhrmann's Strictly Ballroom. Absolutely banana I th- collection of I think things. it's why my brain is the way it is. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that checks a lot of boxes of like, oh, this is an introduction to culture. Yeah. This is how we're going to do it. This and it's is how all, we're going to do it. It's all related. It. It's all connected. Yeah. I think if I had, I think if I'd been slightly older, if all of us had been slightly older, yeah. we would have engaged with it more as an intellectual pursuit. But it, it was just like themes of intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma. Um, Heathcliff uh, punishes Kathy's children and Shirley punishes, <laughs> punishes God. God. <laughs> because Doug <laughs> wanted to dance weird steps and then and what she is, was lied to and yes and yeah. uh, Barry Fife is the Barry Linton. Fife is the, is the devil yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my experience of it what's your experience of it so my experience of it is that it is not the first Baz Luhrmann I watched so okay. I was about the right age for Moulin Rouge in the cinema to form an mm-hmm. enormous part of my personality yes yeah, so 2001 yes indeed yeah. so I was about 14 mm-hmm. and to go and see that as somebody who oh already liked musicals and theatricality right and for the performance plucking. was right for the plucking. <laughs> and so I then, the same year, was studying Romeo and Juliet at school. So obviously then watched Baz Luhrmann's mm. Romeo and Juliet and was like, oh, this is me, all this of this. Me. This is this is my personality. Yeah. And then watched Strictly Ballroom. And that, as a trilogy, remains very, very close to my heart, very deep in my soul, very much had an impact on the way that I sort of engage with cinema. It it was huge to me when I was a kid. And Strictly Ballroom is the one that I think I still watch the most. Mm. It's the one as well that since moving to the UK, I've watched the most with English people or Mm. people who grew up somewhere else. And occasionally you have the, the, the joy of kind of getting to watch somebody watch a film that has meant something to you. And trying not to be a creep about it, mm. but also having so that, hard to not be a so creep hard about not to be a creep because there's so many good lines and so many good moments that mm. you're like, I'm looking to the right. I shouldn't be looking to the right. Just watch the screen. Watch yeah. the screen. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Um, <laughs> but much like my relationship with Moonstruck, which is mm. I loved it as a young teenager and have showed it to innumerable friends now. I have the same relationship with Strictly Ballroom, where either I talk about it and somebody goes what I want, what I want, and does yeah. the lines. Or I, they haven't seen it and then we have to watch it. Yeah. And they're the only two options. And it was funny because you watched it with our dear mutual friend, Indeed. Hodgson, star of stage and screen. Star of stage. Whose face is currently on buses and cabs in London. Yeah, totally. Very weird for someone you've known for 12 years. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, she watched it with you. Who had never seen it. And her first reaction was, when are they going to sing? Yeah, why is she not singing? Yeah. Why has this woman walked into a room, performed like that, and yeah. then the next moment hasn't been a big musical number where she walks out into another room and does a big number on her own. Right? It does feel like it should be a musical. And it made a lot of sense to me that he made Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes a lot of sense that this is the debut of a man who will go on to make Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah. And yet I think, strangely, 
this Strictly Ballroom feels in a way the least of its time or something. I don't know. I, I look at Moulin Rouge and I think, and I love it. I adore it. Yes. But it, the phrase that always comes to me is, this is a pre-9-11 movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where it was like, this was an, an indicator of like turn of the century film yes. before the turn of the century became known for something else. Yes. And um, it's like, it's too much. It's opulent. It's, um, I don't know, this is something it's, it's very... gaudy and yeah. brilliant. But like, in a way that, like it's pre-financial crash, pre-9-11, pre-like yeah. us reckoning with the world. Totally. In a way that because Strictly Ballroom, despite being bananas, like the script is mad and the way that people engage with each other is mad, the the sort of, the the performances are so heightened. But it does feel quite rooted and timeless, timeless in, its in its madness. Yeah. Because you can't quite pin these people down. You don't know where they are or what's going on with them. Yes. But they do feel real, like oddly real. Right. And I think part of that is not having a lot of money to make the film. (laughs) Yeah. Like part of that is having a budget of $3 million and pulling all of this together. And part of it is it starting as a stage play. Yes. And part of it is his camera style at the time, which is, is, it happens subsequently. But at this point is just, I've never seen, I was really paying attention to it yesterday. Never seen so many close-ups in a film. Like people's faces fill yeah. the entire yeah. screen and they are sweaty and working and you can feel the reality of them in a way that I think Moulin Rouge distances you from everyone. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And even um, Romeo and Juliet, it's so hyper-stylized. Yeah. It's and like, the language like, is always going to be as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's I, I, and I love all three movies for yeah. very different reasons but for some reason this feel I, yeah and I think it is because it's a low budget and also because it's about low budget people. It is. It's about like you know lower middle class people. Yeah. And they kind of always look the same. We always look the same. Yeah. You yeah. know it's just like yeah slightly shitty clothes slightly yep. shitty makeup and like trying really hard. Yep. You know. Working really hard Working trying to really do a hard. thing. Yeah. And it also, it really put me in mind as well. I think there's, you know, uh, Muriel's Wedding, obviously a a, a strong comparative touch point for this. And um, obviously the 90s were a great time for Australian cinema. A really great time for Australian cinema. So, so many of my favourite bits of Australian art come out of the 90s. Yeah. And it is Strictly Ballroom and then Muriel's Wedding and The Castle which you might not have I've seen. I've never heard but of that, no. It's amazing. It's set in like the outer suburbs of Melbourne right by the airport and it's mm-hmm. about a family who are trying to keep their home when the airport is going to expand and wants to compulsorily oh. acquire their house and they take it up to the high court to fight it to keep their home. It's beautiful. It sounds gorgeous and I would love to watch it it's with you, hopefully. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> and also Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which yeah. I think like that same decade. And I think that the... The like 60s to 80s of Australian filmmaking was very much like reckoning with the outback and the space and this land and our relationship to it and a sort of real reckoning of like, what is our place here? What is, and when I say our, I very much mean people who were making films at that time, which is mostly white European people you know, Mm. who'd been in Australia for generations, but who had displaced a people who had a relationship with that land that we, I, as a white Australian, am never going to have. Mm. And the 90s feels very much more a sort of suburban reckoning. Yes, like yes, exactly. Coming into cities and not... It's it's so striking to me that this film feels like 
deeply, deeply Australian, and not just because of the accents, but you never see a shot of the beach no. or the opera house or a eucalyptus tree even, or like anything that feels like demonstrably, visibly Australia. But watching this film, I can like smell Australia. Yes. <laughs> it smells like humidity and bitumen and petrol and eucalyptus trees and like all of the stuff that you in a month are going to go oh yeah you're right there is a very specific thing here that isn't what we smell here on the street every day and I think so I'm I'm so glad that you brought up the Australian art as inherently dealing with it the 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 country physically and the country historically Mm. Um, because I, I, whenever I, you know, watch something Australian, it does seem that there's this, there's always, there's often a very hermetically sealed vibe to it that is very, reminds me of like a John Waters movie. It's like heightened suburbia, mm. heightened indoorsness kind yes. of thing. And it's, um, and, and, and that sort of makes sense, you know, in terms of, oh, a very hot country where yeah. you, you know, it's very uncomfortable to be outside for yes. long periods of the day. And so we have great air conditioning indoors. So let's go, go in there and chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that and that makes sense, but it's also this sense of like, and there's another movie I want to reference in a minute that mm. um, is very much about this as well. The sense of like, um, the existential terror of living in a place where everything can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what people um, in this hemisphere find yes. so troubling about Australia is like there's there's snakes, there's lizards, yeah. there's things that you can't even can you can't even think about is oh, lizards yeah. with knives in their mouths. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I I went on a I went speed dating like earlier yes. this year. Yes, I, was, I would love to do a whole episode on because <laughs> I love that speed dating story so much. Yeah, I was on a, I, I had three minutes with this woman. And I sat down, said hello, and she instantly went, oh, my God, are you from Australia? Uh And I went, yes, yes, I've been here 15 years, but yes, I am from Australia. And she went, and she just spent the entire three minutes talking about snakes. She just wanted to talk about the fact that how did I possibly grow up there? It must be so terrifying. You must have seen so many snakes. And I've seen, like, five (laughs) snakes in my life in a way that felt like, oh, we are in each other's space in a way that is making me uncomfortable. You know, we, the way you talked about that snake like it was a predator. <laughs> I said like they a sexual are. predator. I mean, they are. No, I said you're like right, you're right. They but, they are. Yeah. <laughs> but that thing where it's not just oh, there's something over there and it's not bothering bothering me, but yeah. it's like oh, I've lifted the lid of my filter box off in the pool and there is a red belly black snake in the filter box no. ready or I'm taking a group of year 10 students on biology camp and we're in a sand mine and suddenly an enormous brown snake goes in front of the group and the man running the tour is like I think we'll yeah bus 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 yeah let's just turn bus yeah let's go back to the bus 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 yeah. Kate you're making me want to cancel my ticket no 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 but <laughs> what I'm saying is I lived there for 20 years yeah mm-hmm. I have had so few of these experiences like so few it's just not a thing that happens and in my domestic house it almost never happened like Mm -hmm. I grew up in a suburb of Brisbane and the sort of fear that people talk about and all of the the reckoning with the danger of of the land and the space Uh was not a thing that I spent an enormous time thinking about and yet it preoccupies everybody who doesn't live in Australia but it really does preoccupy everyone who's not there right yeah and it's like Australia to me in my in my in my imagination is like um in, in the Garden of Eden, instead yeah. of punishing Adam and Eve by throwing them out, <laughs> God added more snakes. 
The cop was like, you can stay. You can stay. But you, you have can to, have more of these guys. You can put on a tank top and some running shorts. <laughs> yeah. And you have more snakes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the reason I bring it up is um, because it seems like it's on, on, in order to psychologically deal with the existential threat that is the continent. Yes. It's like um, we make things smaller and more compact and more tight. So it's mm-hmm. like... Um, Strictly Ballroom is so much a film that's preoccupied with like our community, our little hobby, oh, yeah. our committees, our like local competitions. Tight, tight, tight. Keep all yeah. the snakes out by and, tight, and to tight, the tight. Point where outside of that, these people must have jobs and lives because they're, they're all yes, amateur yes. dancers. This is a hobby. You see like ten seconds of Ken Rawlings having a pool spa company. Yeah, and you know one of the guys being one of the women being a hairdresser and stuff. Yeah, but. Our, our central characters we have no sense of yeah. their lives outside of this what does Scott aspire to despite uh, you know apart yes. from dancing his own steps at the Pan Pacific Grand Prix it's so funny because any <laughs> any other movie like an American movie I think or just not by a mad genius yeah, that is totally. Baz Luhrmann um, or was Baz Luhrmann for these three films indeed, indeed. He, that's I, right, his genius is not let's, prolific let's just talk about these three, three films and then I will talk about him with pure love yes exactly um <laughs> Uh, any like an American movie would have like uh, Scott working on his car and yeah. sort of like he's a he's a mechanic by day yeah. and uh, dances by night mm-hmm. and they would they would have gone out of their way to overemphasize his like his a masculinity and yes. like straight he's a straight guy look here he is working yep. on a car here yep. he is on a skateboard under a car and now he wipes off the oil of his hands and dances, <laughs> dances. with the frumpy girl yeah <laughs> yeah totally um, and, and they're both do that. I think they're both supposed to be about 18, which he is clearly yeah. not. He is like 28 when yeah. he filmed this. Um, but they're both supposed to be 18. And so I guess that the point of this is he's supposed to win the Pan Pacific Grand Prix and then he will take over the dance school. Like that yes. that could be his yeah. future. But for Fran, it's like she will have just finished school. Uh-huh. Is she going to uni? Is she getting a job? Is she doing a thing? We have genuinely, apart from seeing her sit on her family's back deck yeah. and dance, we have no sense. And I'm not, no. this isn't criticism. This is like fascination with how tight and small this story is. Yeah. yeah. Like how brilliant it is that a film that makes me feel this much and laugh this much and engage this much is about something that genuinely doesn't matter well this like it does yeah. but it's it doesn't but it, it doesn't it's like and it's so from the opening it does such a great job of telling you how big a deal this is to these people but yeah. how small a deal it is generally yeah because even like you have you know as the the red cur- the red curtain trilogy you yes. have the opening with the red swishy beautiful curtain then you have this kind of very sort of 1930s era mm. kind of um Fred Astaire dance sort of silhouetting thing going on with all these you know debonair men and women dancing and stuff and then immediately once we get behind that it's like oh they're in like very much a hall yes this is a hall oh yeah yeah a rented hall a rented hall yeah and they even the final scene which is the the pan pacific grand prix that we've been heading towards the entire time not well attended it's not well attended (laughs) these there's no people there you know there's a there's a nice crowd but it's mostly family coming to watch these people who are dancing it's more dancers than anyone else yeah and it's just these people who care deeply about this thing that the rest of the world are like, eh? eh? Yeah. Mm. And I guess, and that's what's so lovely about it, I guess, is because, you know, the jobs that we do get mentioned in this, it's like, you yes. know, Shirley's a beauty, because she's basically an Avon lady, yeah, you yeah. know? And um, 
you know, Fran's family owns some kind of cantina or yeah. whatever. There's someone mentions like a landscape gardening business. Someone, yes. someone quits. Someone quits. In order to in focus order on the landscape, landscape, gardening, landscape business. gardening business. Yeah. It's like they all have these very workaday jobs, but in this world, they are somebody. Oh, yeah. And that is actually what it's about. It's like they've all forgotten anything they like or love about ballroom dancing or dancing itself. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, they, if they eat and sleep and breathe this this subculture enough they will ascend through the ranks of it and have power over one another. Yes. And that's really what it's about. Yeah, they will be the name that people run into a room talking about. Yeah. And like Fran has never been that person. And in my head after the film, it's like the the conclusion of the film is so interesting because in a sort of sports film structure, what you would have to do is either have them win or not win, but in a very specific way. Yes. And what's hap- what happens is we don't know who wins. We don't know who wins. They it, don't it care. besides the point. It, it's literally beside the point. All yeah. they wanted to do was go to the Pan Pacific Grand Prix <laughs> and dance Scott's Steps. The Latin final. The Latin final. <laughs> That's it. Like, this yeah. isn't even about winning. Yeah. It's not about any of that. And it's also, it's like, because this is a, um, like, like any subculture, it is... You need to know a lot to understand what anyone's doing right or wrong. Yes. You know, and um, it's like, unless the voiceovers in the form of the mockumentary were telling us oh, yeah. that, that, that Scott has done something heinous. Yes. There's no way we would know. And that's the joke. <laughs> totally. You know? We have no concept of this. The, the sort of the strictly ballroom idea yeah. is not a thing we can recognise. So you have to, it is a bananas beginning to the film because you spend the first 10 minutes going, oh, it's a mockumentary. Uh-huh. The whole thing's going to be a mockumentary. You have like people's names under their faces and uh-huh. everyone's doing these two camera interviews uh-huh. about this thing that went wrong. And then it, Vanishes never to return. Nope. As a as a framing device and a concept. Uh-huh. But we, you're right, we need it because we need to have a sense that that there are these stringent, specific rules in this world uh-huh. that Barry Fife has laid out and yeah. can monetize because if you can't sort of police the steps, yeah. you can't teach them. Mm-hmm. And he and needs their, to teach their them. whole fragile economy. Exactly, their whole fragile economy is built around. I will tell you what these specific steps are, which ones you're allowed to do in order, yeah. and then you will go out and do them. And then there will be another generation who do the same, who do the same, who do the same. Uh-huh. And if you step outside of that, you're going to crack this ecosystem wide open. Yeah. We don't know how to survive it. Yes, exactly. We don't know how to survive. And, and, that, and it's... that's mad that I, un, you know, have that sense from that first, f- yeah, you know, five ten minutes. Yeah, and you're so clear on it. What I love about it as well is that this, um, this you know, committees and pageantry and the sense that you get this in all kind of pageanty type movies where it being someone's year. Yeah, you know, this is Scott's. Year. It's Scott's year, and like this thing of um, you know, you've 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 paid your dues. Yeah, you've you're like a, you're an attractive next successor of the gener- this generation yes. to keep this thing alive and like there's this, like the, really the best characters are all the older characters oh absolutely really. they're the ones you're most interested in like and and just it's a bit like you know Gavin and Stacy where yeah. like Gavin and Stacy are very bland characters yes. but they are the tent poles that are holding up the circus yes and um you, this thing of like we need new young couples who are like going to be the face of the next generation so we can continue to make money yeah, off of who this. are going to run these dance schools yeah. and do the home videos and the books and And no one will ever get next. rich enough to no. even do this full time. No, this cannot be your job. Like no. This is never going to be your job, but it will earn you enough to, to keep this alive and keep it going. 
And that is so good to me. Yeah. It's so fast. And sorry, I've been dancing around dancing around it. Um, <laughs> but the movie that I compared this to most in my heart, not Muriel's Wedding, not <laughs> Priscilla, but Babe. But Babe. You texted me this yesterday. Yeah. I was like, I cannot wait to hear this. So Babe, another great Australian another movie. Another great Australian movie. But people don't really think of as an Australian movie, I don't I think, think they because very, the accents aren't there. Well, they, they also very deliberately didn't set it anywhere specific. So yeah. everyone uses their own accent. So Magda Zabansky, who yeah. is incredible in Kath and Kim as well, like yes. an icon of Australian culture, is very Australian. Yeah. Um, and James Cromwell is obviously British yeah. and English. And they all use their own accents. They do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And and it's in a green and pleasant land. Yes. The book is set in England, but the the film is definitely not specifically right. England. And the only in, but it's got an Australian director. Yes. And, to- and it was filmed in Australia. It's a yeah. big Australian success story. And the only sort of indication that you have that it's an Australian movie is that it's it's summer at Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Which I always found so odd yes. when I was a child. And I guess I hadn't actually thought about until now. Yeah. It hadn't even occurred to me that that yeah, was a like thing. Yeah, it's like blue, blue skies it's when like, they're pulling oh, yeah, up that no, tree. Oh yeah, no, totally, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so everyone will kind of, who, who only dimly remembers Babe, I mean, and doesn't watch it twice a year as I do. Um, the, <laughs> by the way, if anyone wants to hear me talk about Babe for a long time on the You Are Good podcast. Stop. I had a great You've time. You've done a whole time. Oh, I've done a whole okay. time. Obviously, yeah. you're listening. Um, so... It is a movie that everyone will remember as being, yeah, yeah farm, yeah, yeah, pig. Farm, pig. But the infrastructure of the plot is based around what seems to me like a very Australian thing of like committees and contests mm. and fairs and we do things a certain mm-hmm. way here. So Farmer Hoggett's wife, she is like, she's won every prize in the county for her jams and her squashes and her, <laughs> her cat. And yes, like ev- the There's cat. nothing in her life that she hasn't turned into a prize. <laughs> to, to a point that even... Her husband, the, the how he gets like babe off the hook for Christmas dinner is by saying that like he's getting fat haunches. It, and next year, fat he, he, he could be a prize pig. Next year, he could be a prize pig. And she's like, okay, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, and then it's this it, it's this funny parallel because at the very end you get like this whole rush to the the final competition thing for the sheepdog trials, which again. A bizarre hobby yeah. that is mental, but like the more mental a hobby is, the more rigid it becomes yes, because totally. the people in control of it are so aware of how mental it looks, so therefore they heap more formality on top yeah. of it. And like, you know, like Fran is babe, babe is yeah. Fran. It's like <laughs> yeah. everyone like hushed silence being like, oh my, oh my God, God, what are you what doing? Are you doing? <laughs> this is an insult this to this community yes. that we have beat the snakes to build. <laughs> We built our buildings and now we do this inside these buildings. Exactly. (laughs) And you are ruining it. You're ruining it for all of us. Yeah, and it even has this sort of thing of like the um the sort of over ambitious kind of like manic woman obsessed with prizes and opportunity and sort of like the hushed kind of insular calmness of the of the henpecked husband, but who inside there is an enormous human being who Mm. just wants to express themselves. Yes. Really there's a lot of Oh, there's a lot of parallels. If only that was on my leaving search. That would be amazing. Um yeah, it's just it's all just so good. (laughs) It is so good. It is so good. And I think it is it is a it's so good because it is so many things at once. Yeah. Like it does have that underdog against the establishment mm-hmm. story. It's sort of 
not quite but kind of like structurally a sports film yeah you know like it's a it's a sporting you know film that celebrates somebody's hard graft and gets them to the competition mm-hmm. you know and in a cool running style gets yeah. them to to have a great time and and win the respect of everybody but not crucially actually win mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's also a rom-com like this the structure of it the beats of it are mm. very much a rom-com and it's less a rom-com between sort of Scott and Fran as much as Scott and dancing with Fran yes like their their romance is lovely and sweet and moving and you know all of those things but actually it's not the key of the story here the yeah. key is them being able to dance his steps together yes or their steps and together. their steps the fact that they become her and they steps teach one another because and... they teach one another Ugh. and she teach you know the first moment where she's like trying to interject with a step that she's come up with yeah and he's just talking over her talking over her talking over her and then she just dances around him oh. and cl- like bashes the floor with her great shoes around yeah. him and he looks at her and he's like where did that come from? Yeah. What is that? What are we doing? And realizes he's found somebody who can, again, show him something he hasn't seen before, show him something outside of the establishment, the outside of the thing he's been doing since he was six years old, yeah. that he doesn't understand or where this is coming from in himself. Like these steps are just a yep. thing that he feels. We never get a motive no. for Scott. No. He's just bored. <laughs> he, yeah. He's been doing this one thing and his soul, his spirit, his yeah. dancing self wants to dance differently. And it's yeah. not until he meets her family that he's kind of given a way to understand it and appreciate it and even like codify it in ways to like find a way to to learn new steps that yeah. feel like his steps. Yeah, and it's such a... It's so hard for anything like... Any form of personal expression that is essentially ancient and illogical kind mm. of thing. We don't really know why we sing. We don't really know why yeah. we dance, except that every human being who's ever lived has felt alive while doing it. Yeah. You know, so it's like the the in dialogue, we try and get all these expressions for how dancing makes a person feel or when it should be good. Like listening to your heart and feeling it in your yeah. heart. And, you know, Grandma Fran is really going out of her way <laughs> yeah. to push that home and like... And, and that really means nothing because it's such an ineffable and hard to yeah. describe concept, you know, yes. of like just what is feeling it and what is rigidity and what what makes your heart sing. And like, yeah. it's just something that has to be communicated through cinematography and external shots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of the freedom of them dancing outside. Yeah. Of them like breaking out of the dance studio and going to be somewhere else where they're not surrounded by mirrors. They're not surrounded yeah. by like, is your arm in the right place? Is the angle correct? You can see yourself roof. every single place you look and instead yeah. they're on a roof or they're on the back deck or they're somewhere else and they're walking home and they can dance without looking at themselves and judging themselves. They can just dance how they feel. Oh, yeah. Which is so nice. So nice. So nice. It's so nice. It's such a good film. (laughs) Everything about it is just good. So good. And like, it's just, it's dirty dancing for freaks. Yeah. Like, yeah, for real, like, nerds and losers. (laughs) For nerds and losers. Because it's like, because it's sexy, but it's not sexy. It's not like dirty dancing sexy where there's a, a sort of like real clarity to what this is but every time they look at each other it's sexy but it's just nerdy sexy (laughs) it's nerd it's nerd sex yeah it really is and like i think there's like 
a huge tradition within this kind of trope. Yes. Of like the um the character who is within a community where everyone does one thing one mm-hmm. way, but this character is like, no, I can't. I I not only do I not want to, I simply can't because of every yes. instinct in my body. And that's like so ripe for a queer allegory, right? Oh, massively. And like I feel like this movie plays with that in such an intense and brilliant way. Yeah. Of like the mockumentary at the very beginning of his mother being like, did I fail, <laughs> did him, as I fail him as a mother? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is it is perfect. It's Baz Luhrmann's talked about it and he's gone, it's not a film about ballroom dancing. It's a film about oppression. Like the story is yeah. one of oppression and is of being oppressed by a sort of, he speaks very generally about oppression, but I think there is something definitely in the being oppressed by a very conservative, mm-hmm. very ruled and mannered, uh, sort of Anglo-Saxon influenced version of Australian man, uh-huh. sort of very strong patriarchy, very strong sense of right and wrong and everybody's place in the world mm-hmm. and where people should fit. And that works for ballroom dancing. It works for the fact, you know, all of the the high ups in the ballroom dancing scene and community are all men yes they're all men who are sort of these this is how we're going to run this this is what it's going to look like like barry fife is such an icon of that Mm -hmm. um and and yeah so to have somebody in that where they are fighting against being able to to conform in the way that they should conform is definitely always going to feel a bit queer and it's also the thing that the the constant reiterating of the word flashy and yes. crowd pleasing crowd pleasing flashy yeah. It, yeah scott's moves being sort of wrong because of yeah of of being crowd pleasing of yeah. being of being something that's going to seem appealing actually to, yeah. to, that people are going to look at and go oh how fun how cool but Which now is you're not fitting every right wing panic about yes. any kind of queer identity yes. ever it's like well if Imagine we, if if we make appealing. either gay life or trans life look appealing yeah. then they'll all be gay they'll all be gay imagine <laughs> if you allowed drag queens to read at libraries all children yeah. would be gay because that looks like fun <laughs> they can't think it's fun. They it's can't a think brave it's fun. life. It's, it's a really terrible time. You from the you who knows nothing about ballroom dancing Indeed. may think from the outside it looks like a fun life, but you'll yeah. see. It's... You will see. How <laughs> oh, people are bonkers, aren't they? Yeah, but it it really works as that, and it, it you know as a story, it 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 feels like a very small, very specific story about this one community, and that is very true, all of it. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something in my like my relationship with Australia is I moved away when I was 21. Mm-hmm. So a long, long time before I came out and I didn't spend my teenage years being kind of uh, closeted or feeling particularly oppressed. But it's only looking back that I can recognise the oppression of being in a Catholic girls' school where mm-hmm. there was a very specific version of life that I was supposed to be aspiring to mm. one which i have failed to achieve um mm. by being gay and by being unmarried and by not having children yet might you know all of these things are open but the sort of picture of what that will look like is not the picture that i was raised in my community to understand would be my future mm. and yeah so i i i i cannot speak to the experience of being gay in australia interestingly i 
I wasn't. I, right, you know, yeah. looking back on it, it's not like I'm sort of remembering the oppression. Mm. It's only really in hindsight that I can see why it took me so long to come out. Why that, you know, why the way my life has been shaped has, you know, has been really impacted by where I grew up. And in a in a lovely way, too. I grew up in a really nice community, in a really mm. nice city. Um, I went to the beach. We climbed mountains. We had a great time. We spent, you know, endless nights at having barbecues. It was a great childhood and a great time to be alive in Australia. But it's also definitely a time where there was a very specific view of what we'd all grow up to be. And mm. I think that I don't live there anymore, but my understanding from conversations with friends and with people and people who've moved back and all of that is that that does feel different now. I think the 90s was a time when it felt very much like Australia was ruled by a very specific vision of what Australia looks like and should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, ob- I think that that is a, a really uh, tangible reaction against a wave of post-war migration into Australia that shifted what communities looked like mm-hmm. and who communities were that sort of there are a couple of big uh, waves of immigration into Australia at various points throughout the past sort of 250 years um, that is post sort of the when Indigenous Australians were the people who lived in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so those waves of migration changed the way that communities operated and what you could eat and do and see and who you could talk to and all of those things in ways that one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com mom deserves better than a drugstore card This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com has always felt great to me but I appreciate that if you are a white descended Anglo-Saxon person who came from convicts or from Irish famine boats or from Mm -hmm. anything else and has been in Australia for some 200 years or whatever it was by that point that it is different and I say that with love for difference but recognizing that a lot of the mentality of that time came out of feeling an unsettling and like you weren't in control of that difference. And that's so fascinating to me. And do you think that is why in so much Australian film and TV, like I'm thinking of like Catherine Kim or whatever, mm. it, it it does, again, to sort of reference this John Waters sense of like the heightened ridiculousness of trying to control anything. Yeah, I I, I think that like, you know, I, 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 I very, I always hesitate to speak for a country that I no longer live in. But that, I, I understand. I feel the same way about Ireland, yeah. where, where I haven't lived full time since I was yeah. twenty-one either. You know, exactly. I think it's a very similar like, here are my feelings rather yeah. than here is my thesis. Yes. You know, which is very much this podcast. This podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, but yeah, I do feel that. I do feel like there is a real sense of. Um, so one of my favorite books in Australia 
uh, mm. from Australia is Picnic and Hanging Rock, which came out oh, yeah. in the late 50s. I feel like I'm familiar with the aesthetic, but I've never read it. I think that that is a, a really common vibe. Yeah. Is that uh, it's a Peter Weir film. No, it's a... Oh, damn it. It's not Peter Weir. That's Heavenly Creatures. It's somebody. Um, it's a great film. And I think it had a very clear aesthetic and a very clear visual sense, which is hot rock girls in white dresses. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm imagining. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the book is that too, but only for the first chapter. So the book is essentially uh, a girls' school created in uh, the sort of outside of Melbourne, where Hanging Rock literally is in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so about an hour from there, it is a a school set up by an English woman who is coming to Australia and wants to mm-hmm. have a school for girls of you know of colonizers essentially so mm-hmm. you know it's it's set in 1901 in the year that australia became a federation so became a country and they go off on a picnic to hanging rock and some of the girls disappear some of the girls wander up the rock and vanish oh and they return to school and it's like one of the teachers has vanished some of these girls have vanished and it's like wh- wh- where have they gone and the whole book is just the community's reaction to this disappearance and it is very much reckoning with th- whether you can fit an English sensibility into a country that doesn't have an English sensibility about oh, it. Fascinating. It doesn't physically feel like England. Yeah. So how could we how could we possibly hope to create England yeah. down under? Like how so, how could that so be it's true? Like, it's not even so much cramming a square peg into a round hole. It's throwing tiny squares into a huge hole. Yes, and watching and, them and disappear watching them disappear into blackness, into blackness <laughs> because they cannot hope to fill the same space and support themselves. And it, that, I re- I really want to read that. It's fantastic. I, I genuinely I think you'd really enjoy it. And also, read it and you can the, come back. And we can yeah, talk about it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and the the writing period of it is is bananas. Like the the writer uh, Joan Lindsay, she when she was writing it, she essentially woke up from a fever dream and had a mad four weeks and just wrote this oh my God. novel. Okay. Like in a in a, a haze Go off, of sis. weirdness. Yeah. Um so so I think that that same sensibility of like what does it look like to try and control a world that is uncontrollable mm-hmm. and that is and that we are still reckoning with and trying to understand. That's you know it's the same feeling about Priscilla, like drag queens in the in mm-hmm. the desert. It's like how do we fit here? What yeah. version of this makes sense? How do we occupy this space? How do we look? And how, here? how do we find meaning? How do we find in a world here? that could, that would just like consume us? Yes, do you know what I mean totally. And I think we were all of these '90s films as well is pre the apology, which is a a big moment in Australian history of. Um, the government essentially making a public apology to Indigenous Australians for the brutal actions of colonialism, of essentially mm. coming to a country going, I mean, it's pretty empty. We could take it. It's empty And then doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then spending the next 200 years and continuing oppressing the people who were here in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in ways that I think have been quite well documented but I always wonder how well documented outside of Australia in terms of stolen generations in terms of I would say my knowledge of it is completely confined to the film Rabbit Proof Fence yeah I would I I think that 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 film Mm -hmm. did a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the international perception of that as a 
as an, a sort of a history. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ongoing things, uh, you know, in, in communities in Australia, in ongoing interventions, ongoing oppressions, ongoing sort of, uh, I think it's still a history that we as a country are reckoning with and trying to to work out what it looks like to have done this. Mm. But for our ancestors to have done this, my ancestors are convicts, so to have done this, all of us, mm-hmm. and for it to sort of to try and work out what to do now, how to live with that, how yeah, to engage with that, it's... in the same way that, you know, American communities are trying to do with Indigenous communities in America and in Canada and in, you yeah. know, everywhere else where white people showed up from Europe and went, oh, we're going to put a flag here and own this. But with the added complication of not everybody who came to Australia came by choice. Indeed, indeed. You know? Yeah. It is a fascinating country. And I am, it is. I am psyched You're to go gonna there. You're going to have an amazing time. And I'm also psyched to have so many Australians who are into this podcast. This is a really nice thing about it. Yeah. It's going to be so nice for you. I, every time I do an episode with you, we have done a handful now, yeah. I get such nice messages from like people I went to school with, people I went to university with, people who are just Australian and follow me, mm-hmm. who are like, I can't believe you're on Caroline's podcast. This is so amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. It's really nice. I think great. there's a lot of, there's a really passionate, interested leadership, um, readership, listenership. I want to talk a little bit about the dressing of the spaces. Oh my god! And the dressing of the people. I just looked at my notes and I was like, can we please talk about the glamour? The glamour. The glamour. <laughs> the diamantes. The fringes. And I mean the... like on dresses, but also that are 10 centimetres high off people's foreheads. The... Like just the kind of the sort of a hairspray to oblivion, yeah, fan, fan, almost like fringe. a peacock sort it's of. It's so mad. It's so nuts. Yeah, I mean, so it's all Catherine Martin, who yes. is Baz Luhrmann's wife, mm-hmm. who he met um, at university, I think, and mm. that they or met like doing shows at university, and he'd been working with her for a little bit by this point because I, she did a musical at. Sydney Opera House with him and she's done, she had done mm-hmm. theatre with him by this point and had done other stuff but this was their first like film together because his first film obviously and they she's done every one of his films since and she is the uh, Australian with the most Academy Awards the like oh. most Academy oh, Awarded Australian that. ever because um, she's just amazing like yeah. the design is so specific so beautifully done so well realised And it is mad to see all of these sort of working and middle class people in these extraordinary outfits that must cost enormous amounts of money to like or time to make and prepare and do and have. Well, that's what's so wonderful is that like it gives such a great sense of like these people eat, sleep and breathe this. Yes. And and they make a living doing something. It doesn't yes. matter what because their their soul isn't there. Yeah. But it's like they're... Everything e- is towards this. Everything's towards this. There's no scene where like Scott's family are eating together. It is always like <laughs> no. her hemming a child's costume. Yeah. It's like always doing something to contribute yeah. towards this ballroom Yeah, thing. he comes home at 2am, there's chops in the fridge, and that's the only mention we get of anybody having any food at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And there's one scene where um, the grandmother is frying some kind of dumpling. Yep, yep. Perfect. Um, but yeah, we don't need food, we just no, need to we dance. we just need dance. Every time I see you, you've got pins in your mouths and you're yeah. preparing a new outfit, a new costume. It's it's so fascinating to me, family, I mean families, because I come from a family of... Um, 
whatever the opposite of a joiner is. Sure. <laughs> like there was never anyone in my family, in all, all the six of us, who was like really in to a thing, a thing or a, like my parents played some golf and tennis, but mostly yeah. you know, so pretty social kind of thing. Um, none of my siblings and none of us were really that into something. It would always get to a point where we do. Saturday morning drama or a bit of football or a bit of this and it would get to a point where it's like eh. yeah. <laughs> I'm only going to go so far with this and then we're just a, a real quitters and so whenever you get these <laughs> these families who like the, they're so dedicated mm-hmm. which is interesting because I just got married you were there yes I was there um, my husband which is fun husband. to say I am marrying into a family of committees and joiners interesting so um, my uh, Gavin's parents are they're on the bowls team they've yep. uh, historically been a member of a motorcycling mm-hmm. club um, darts it's kind of like uh, they, there's nothing that they have ever done that they didn't then become the treasurer of yes uh, and yes I really I really know the vibe <laughs> I'm from a family of joiners yeah and I kind of envy it in mm. a way My like because it feels like something very noble about handing yourself over to a community mm. in such a full-throated, wholehearted and very practical way. Yes. Um, because I feel like everything in my life personally is about the furthering of me in my life. Like <laughs> podcasting, extremely egotistical and self-centered profession, <laughs> novels, very, like it's all, it is very sure, much okay. the, the pursuit of the self and the understanding of the yeah. self. And so I've never felt like I've been within a club or a group mm-hmm. of any kind. And I envy it, and I, but I also don't know how to park myself in order to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I did, that really brought things up for me in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a sense in this film as well of the community is so specific in its hierarchy and clearly delineated of like who's important, who's mm-hmm. not important. There's a obvious thing of like Fran's been doing this for two years and she doesn't have a partner yet yeah that's and for a, a beginner a to thing. even hope to even, yes. to even like approach an open amateur yeah. <laughs> for a beginner the, the, to approach Scott is so horrified amateur. he's like so sick of the regiments of yeah, his own yeah. world and he's like I can't believe I cannot fathom <laughs> Fran being like I could dance with you yeah and also I could tell you how to dance yes I, yeah. I want to dance your steps I think you're good and actually I've got some ideas yeah amazing so good but I do think that inside you know outside of that hierarchy and structure and all of those things is also like i can imagine that lots of those costumes are shared or handed down yeah or altered within and, the community yeah. altered for somebody new because i i think you're right there is a real sense of like a community and a sense of all of these people joining this thing and then doing it together and yeah. even though there's a lot of petty like maybe not petty but infighting and sort of uh yeah valuing of some people over others and the the very specific hierarchy there is also i think a real sense of community spirit and generosity and the way that everybody cheers for each other Mm. when they are performing and even though everybody knows it's scott's year they are still cheering for everybody else they're still like a real group who've come on this day to, to to show off their dancers their team um, you know, against everybody else's team. Yeah. And that's really nice and fun. It is that's a really, really nice, nice vibe. And I grew up in a family of, my sister and I are real, were real joiners at school. We're actually like less so now. Mm. I think I've made my hobby having friends, which is not the same as having a hobby. <laughs> 
It is. If you were to read Elizabeth Day's new book, it is a hobby. There we go. <laughs> and okay. I, yeah, it is also my hobby. Yeah, it, I, I think it's a really. It is what I spend my time doing. It's. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I and I'm I'm going to say this with love for anybody who went to my school and is listening to this, but I didn't really have any proper friends until maybe year eleven. Like I had friends in primary school, but I went to secondary school and felt very not quite part of a group, a specific mm-hmm. group. So I spent every lunchtime or little lunch, as we call it, morning tea, mm-hmm. uh, doing a club. So I did interact, I did amnesty, I did choir, I did football, I did basketball, I did swimming, I did, you know, I had so many clubs and I was always a part of a club. And during my primary school years, my mum had been treasurer of the um, parents and PTA, like the Parents and Friends mm-hmm. Association or Parents and Teachers. Um, and so organised the fate and, you know, did all yes. of these things. So like on a weekend, we'd be at school organising this thing, making sure this thing could happen. And it just never occurred to me that there could be another way of engaging with school or with life in, in a school. Yeah. So I did the musical. I was in three different choirs. I had, you know, I was part of the soccer team. I was all of those things. And so I had lots of different places to put my energy and my time. Mm-hmm. And it meant that yeah we did a lot of sewing of costumes and you know preparing of bits for whatever Lucy and I were doing that weekend like for whatever activity we'd signed ourselves up for mm-hmm. I th- and I think it's it's really great training of the soul I think, yeah you know I think it was really good for me right and I I, I look at you and me <laughs> because we know each other very well yeah. and I, 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 there are things in your character that I think that came from that world of sewing somebody else's costume yeah. that I don't have. And I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm inherently selfish and you're inherently selfless, but I'm kind of saying that. <laughs> I think I'm a bit selfish, but I, in a way that I have had to learn. I think my selflessness is something that I have fought against because it felt like the right answer to be selfless. And part of being in my 30s was getting to a point of going, it's okay to say no, to have boundaries, and people respect that. And it's really important to put your time, attention, and care where you want to put it because you cannot blanket help everyone and help everything. You need to find a focus and find a thing and find the time that you want to commit to those things because otherwise you're going to burn out. You know, I'm I glad think, you learned that. Yeah, it was a really hard lesson, but I think it was a really good lesson to learn. And I'm much better at focusing on... And I'm a much better friend for it. Like, I'm a much better dedicator of time now mm. because I'm not trying to blanket just say yes to everyone and everything all the time. I'm glad. Yeah. I, but I'm I'm also glad that, like... As as uh, cynical as we could be about the characters in this movie who are obsessed with their little community. Yeah. The joys of that. The joys of that. Yeah. They're real tangible joys. You know, when stuff's going well, when they think it's going to be amazing, when like Tina Sparkle comes Tina and... Sparkle. Tina Sparkle! <laughs> when Tina Sparkle comes and wants to maybe dance with Scott. Yeah. The like investment of the community in that moment. The, the lightness fact, that comes over all those yes, characters. The fact that like nobody questions that she would be Scott's. Yeah. Like that nobody else in the club is like, oh, I wish she was dancing with me. It's just yeah, like, it's like, we need to get a new partner for our guy whose year it is and she's the girl and it's going to happen and it's going to be amazing. Like they are all so behind it. Yeah. And that's so nice. 
<laughs> yeah, obviously it's being a, it's set up as this huge disappointment for France. Of but course, it's like the lightness of it feels yeah. real and the hope feels real. Yeah. Um, I feel like we haven't spoken enough about Fran and her makeover, which I feel like is the least problematic makeover in all of cinema. I think it's really well tastefully done. Yeah. To be like this quite awkward like late teens girl who doesn't you know who needs maybe a little help in yeah figuring out what makeup goes on her face if she wants to wear makeup who works out how to wear a scoop neck who figures out a midriff you know she just gets like a really it's not like one scene where a prettier character sits there and goes this is how we're going to dress you from now on here you are but it even it makes fun of that yeah totally by having Shirley by having Shirley like insane makeup on her yeah this blue and pink I think it's you I think think it's it's you I think it's you and always like flogging apricot scrub at her which I wince every time I hear me too I'm like don't put apricot scrub on that face (laughs) anything with apricot scrub she can't it's too sensitive what a time though we were all told that that's what we had to do oh my that was like the first skincare I ever engaged in was what Saint Ives. Yeah, Saint Ives. A big fucking tube of Saint Ives. Big glob beige. Glob of like sand to rub into your face. (laughs) For all faces. Oh, all faces. Indiscriminately, all faces. Awful. But like, yeah, it's... it's, That's laughter. And instead she gets to like quietly just find confidence and poise and sort of, you know, a, 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 a confidence and a security in her body. As well, like she just holds herself differently. She starts walking differently and standing differently. Yes, it's such um, from the inside out. Yeah, um, performance. Which I think she is the strong of the very clearly stronger actor of the two. Oh, definitely. So she is an actor and not a dancer, and he He's is a, a dancer, dancer not, not an actor, actor. Which I actually think is lovely. Me too. I think it works really well. It works really, really well. Yeah. Um, in the same way, I think it worked for Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Definitely. In that, Patrick Swayze, like, I'm sorry, people love that man and I love them for loving him. Yeah. But not an actor, really. I don't think, like, he's not amazing. You know, he's dreamy and lovely, but he's not amazing. Um, But yeah, to have, because it really feels like the heart of all dance movies is about two people teaching each other how to do something new. That's kind of always it. Yes. And it's like, so it feels like one person... say the last dance to Dirty Dancing. Yeah, exactly. It's always like, come and show me your steps. Yeah. Come and show me And so to have one really strong dramatic actor and one really strong dancer feels so harmonious on screen. And she'd been doing it, she did it on stage as well. So when it was a play, she did it on stage. And Paul Mercurio who is Scott, was new. So he was like brought on for the film. Um, But she'd been doing it for ages. Like Fran was her role, like her thing. Yes, and it was quite difficult casting her, right? Yeah, because they were like, no, we want a name as well. We want either a name or we want a dancer and she's not really either. Yeah. And... And he fought for her and and made it happen. And it was, it's just really lovely that she gets to be that, that woman. She is, she is her. I really believe her in it. Yeah. Oh, I believe her so much. And maybe it's because we believe both of them so yeah. much. But even though the um, Paul Mercurio isn't a fan- fabulous actor, I believe him so deeply. Oh, yeah. I believe his like passion for it. Because I, I believe I, his energy. I believe that's what 18-year-old boys who've been trained yeah. to do one thing and have yeah. probably been getting late since they were 14. <laughs> I believe that's what they're like. Yeah. They're just like indignant all the time yep. and sort of distracted. And that first scene where the dance studio clears out and he stays and dances on his own. Yeah. I'm like, I buy this so much. I buy it so much. I buy you looking at your grown-up man's body 
that you yeah. probably came into relatively recently yeah trying to figure out how it moves yeah and like trying to figure out the limits of it and what you can do with it and how exciting that is and how new that is and how you don't just want to be told to stand up straight hold your arm and, and a smile and be rigid and smile. yeah like that your body can do this stuff now and you want to figure it out i buy it yeah yeah. And he also, he seems like a character who has seen Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really it's, it, it's really uh, important that yeah. uh, watching it yesterday, Dirty Dancing came back and came up in the corner as yeah. the closing, as the credits closed of like, we're going to start playing this next. And I was like, of course you are. Unless you, like, unless you, unless you stop us, unless you intervene, <laughs> we are sending you straight to Dirty Dancing. And it is this like, they are definitely in conversation with each other. Yeah. These films have a, a you know, a shared language. And I think this film is, is telling a different yeah. story and it is very specifically I what think... it is, but. I think Dirty Dancing is a film about society and Strictly Ballroom is a film about community. Yeah, where I think that's nice. It's yeah. like, yeah, that is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it, it's so much, even though both of them have a sort of like a, oh, this person's from this place and this person's from this place and one has rules and one has freedom kind yep. of thing. It really feels like, um, you know, we did an episode on Dirty Dancing recently and I couldn't help. Oh, kind of Sittenfeld. Yeah. So good. What a get. What a get. <laughs> I, know, I was amazed. I, I was know. Like, are, are you sure? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it it really feeling like um, a dance musical version of the Bell Jar. Yeah, because it feels so much about womanhood in the early about 60s. that summer that they executed the, the Rosenbergs. Rosenbergs. Yeah, and I didn't know what I was I doing, in, what New I was doing <laughs> in New York. <laughs> um, yeah, and that this is like. Dirty Dancing is a movie about society pushing in on a hermetically sealed mm. world and and like it's like oh the sort of um this Catskills resort that is frequented by mostly a Jewish clientele about like how um you know we're reaching a point where anti-semitism has has relaxed enough so it doesn't need to be that Jewish people have to be in their own resorts and that's a good thing but also we lose this so also this community we lose that you know of society and this place for people and right so yeah. it's this outside world is pushing in and infiltrating this space whereas like it feels the reverse in strictly i i just think there's there's so little sense of the outside world yeah really like everyone instead of of being sort of outsiders who are looking in and and encroaching or anything like that the community just expands to include anyone who wants to be there mm -hmm. you know it, it expands to include Fran's dad and Fran's grandma like yes. it's like okay here we'll open up this community to these two people they will be dancing with other people at the end yeah. but we don't see a world outside of this little community yeah. we don't have a sense of like anybody else's world I, I think there's there's not even clarity of like it's not even definitely defined what city we're in. No, it's. Um, do you have a Do you have a guess? It filmed. It was filmed in Sydney, apart from the mm -hmm. final scene, which is filmed at like the Melbourne Entertainment and Sports mm -hmm. Arena or space or something. And so, in my head, it's Sydney because it's filmed in Sydney. But also, like, I if you said to me like, no, Baz Luhrmann was very clear that it was a Melbourne thing, mm -hmm. I'd be like, yeah, sure, sure, fine. It does not feel like Brisbane, where I grew up. Just like in terms of the small bits of geography that we see when we go outside. Um, but I really buy it being Sydney or Melbourne. I just love that final scene. Just all dance movies basically make it or break it based on the final dance, yes. right? Like yes. you can't nail that the movie is done, mm -hmm. you know? And I really think this 
fucking shits on Dirty Dancing's final dancing. Yeah, I agree. Like, obviously, we all know the lift and we love the lift. Yeah, the and lift all is that. amazing. It's all beautiful. But this, you know, I, I think there's there's something magical about the end of Dirty Dancing. It's really lovely. It's really, you know, it's really it's really great. But the the real moment is like nobody puts baby in a corner. I'm yes. gonna, like I'm going to walk over to your, your family. I'm going to talk to them. And that's yeah. the moment of like we are doing this. Thing. Yeah. Whereas here, the moment of doing the thing is like, OK, we're dancing. Okay, I'm not talking about it. We're not doing anything. It's Doug coming out and clapping. It's them coming on and dancing their steps with her in this incredible flamenco dress Mm. and then the music being pulled, them being disqualified, the music being pulled and and then the slow clap beginning and them just getting to finish their dance and their steps and then everybody coming out to join them. Like it's beautiful. And their dance, that dance (sighs) is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so hot. It's so like impressive technically like to watch. It's so like stunning watching them doing it. But it's their chemistry while doing it is so good. It's so good. It's just such a nice dance. And and I think what really helps it as well is because there's so much energy and verve going pushing and pushing and pushing towards the yeah. final dance. That last act it just goes off. Oh my god, yeah. It's like we got we get Tina Sparkle entering and leaving. And there's this lovely thing where it's like we never see Scott letting Fran down. Yes. We just we see go it. straight to the competition. It's yeah. mad. Yeah, Structurally, yeah, yeah. it's so good. It's really brave actually. Yeah. And it's just like it's very like you well, you know what happens. You know what happens. Like yeah. they make our contact over the thing. She's now dancing again with a woman. She's yeah. in her like old dress. Yeah. And this and is, he's dancing with Tina he's Sparkle. He's dancing with Tina Who? Sparkle because, of course, a little commotion for Tina Sparkle. A little commotion for Tina Sparkle. <laughs> that woman. Not only is she like, of course, you'd be like, oh, of course, she's the star. Of yeah. course, oh, like oh, we yeah, can't yeah. believe that Tina Sparkle yes. is here. Um, but she also her comedic performance. I think it's, it's for what so tiny good. we get. It's yeah, so good. She has so little that she's allowed to do apart yeah. from like stand there and look amazing like Tina Sparkle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every line she has, she's just on point she's so good and there's something very like decent about her yeah as well. we know that she's not that's the thing when people uh, I, I heard of I, I, a famous person I know sure <laughs> it was Lauren Laverne uh, great I, I used I used to work for her I remember her saying that like the most famous people you ever met tend to be really lovely it's people who haven't gotten what they want from yeah, fame. Who is still like who are actually up. awful yeah. to be with. Yeah. <laughs> People and who... she's already top of her game. Yeah, she's yeah. wanted by everybody and she's a, she's in a position of being able to be like, Scott seems good. He seems like a good dancer. This seems like a good troop. Yeah. Like she's potentially excited to dance with him. And they just keep saying Fran around her. I know. And she, she's like, Fran, the Fran, girl Fran, 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 Fran. <laughs> so good. Um, um but yeah, that final act of like of oh, Doug as well yeah. of of Scott's dad suddenly sort of bend your ear for a up. moment yeah some, bend your ear for a bend tick bend your ear for a tick bend your ear for a tick but then him yelling as Scott's trying to head on like there's something you must know something about the about past, the past. <laughs> it's such a deranged like way of introducing that information yeah. it becomes so heightened and so full on and that the energy leading up to that final dance you're so right is just like piling on top of each other on top yeah. of each other on top of each other it's like everything is happening like and barry fife is is fixing it you, yeah. you know you've got your 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 ones your best friends like figuring out that it's being fixed yeah and and then rushing to tell les like everything is being found out bit by bit by bit in the space of about three minutes it's so so and also the um the 
part. So they all agree that like Scott must know the dark, uh, hideous. But the dark and the way history. it's played, it's like someone was beaten to death with a shovel. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the ominousness yes. of it. It's like, um, but then um, Barry Fife relays his version of events yes. to Scott in order to get him to dance the team in and dump what Fran. is definitely the most bizarre sequence in the entire film, and maybe in all of film. In all of film. <laughs> Because I love it. It me too. It's played so like it would be played on stage. Yeah. In a way that I'm like, I so see the trajectory yeah. of this of this film from its stage version. Yeah. Which started as like a 30 minute devised piece at his drama school and then ended up on stage at various points as yeah. like expanded. And then pieces. ten years later it and became yeah, a movie. Like it it took a real journey to get there. Um but that piece of like both of them not being played by younger actors, just in different makeup, it, but with it, different body bits, and they're and it's like, and I know the whole the kind of whole purpose of the red carpet, red I keep saying red curtain trilogy yes. is um that viewing the world through cinematic tropes, mm-hmm. very much reminding the viewer that you are not watching real life, you are watching how real life is understood by people who are raised on films. Yes. I th- I think. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's exactly raised what by he films means. or Yeah, in storytelling and like, because that's, it's, you know, Christian going to Paris and being like, yeah. I wanted the story to happen to Exactly. Me. People being aware of the stories they've yes. been raised on and the, fr- because I, I think, I think that is what we are, Baz is very, you know, interested in, like. Yeah. Because we've all been shown versions of life. Like even, we're going to bring them up, but Australia, yeah. Great Gatsby, Elvis are all like myth and storytelling. Yes. Like he continues to make films about how we yeah. live and tell stories and what impact that has on the people who are trying to live tangible lives. Yeah. If you if you are That's true. obsessed with storytelling and myth. Yeah. It's very like I I don't think anyone loves any of those movies. I really didn't like that Elvis movie. Me neither. I really didn't like The Great Gatsby, and I have Me not neither. seen Australia. It's not good. Okay, it's just I keep waiting for somebody call, to call it an underloved classic. It's but really not. It's correctly it's, loved. What I would say is, do not. It's it's like the opposite of this podcast. It's the like. Oh, it did really well financially. Yeah. It's like one of the most successful movies ever from made in Australia. Okay. Did really well, weirdly, in Europe, but not in England. So yeah. it did it did well, like in translation, and you know, it, you know, in in yeah. lots of countries on the continent, um, and it did really well in Australia. Uh-huh. But it's like bloated, and it's long, and it's I know what it's trying to do, and it's actually like beautiful in moments, but uh-huh. in terms of a piece of storytelling, it's not something I've ever thought about since. <laughs> oh, like whereas no. I think about Strictly Ballroom all the time. All the, I think about Moulin Rouge all the time. Yeah. But if we go back to, yeah, so that being the purpose of the red carpet. Sorry, I keep saying red carpet. <laughs> red, red curtain. Red trilogy. Um, and uh, it being how people understand their lives through the cinema that they yeah. were raised on. It's like Barry Five telling his story, which, and the way it's staged is like silent actor. Mm. Silent makeup, film actor makeup, yeah. Um, but also sort of like 1960s beach movies. Yeah. And also bad end of the pier kind mm-hmm. of theatre, all smashed very on top of each other. Very, very yeah. vaudeville. And like, 
you know, it's just, I don't know the way he narrates it. It's so, I love it. Yeah, it's mad. It's so... It's so ghoulish. It is really ghoulish. It's really, and it's really, um, it's really interesting that it's a lie. Yeah. Like, it, it, of course it's a lie. Of yeah. course it's not the real story. And the way that it's told is very much like, like Doug is almost performing against his will. Like he's performing yeah. a, a version of his life that didn't exist. Yeah. And I think that feels very truthful to what we actually find out in the final dying moments are, yeah. is the truth. Which is, which is like, again, so undramatic. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. So, um, Shirley danced with Les. <laughs> Shirley danced with Les. At the Pan Pacific Grand Prix. Because Barry Fife told her to. Because Barry Fife didn't want her and Doug to win. Because yes. Barry Fife wanted to win. Yeah. So he orchestrated it that Les would dance with Shirley, that yeah. Doug would not have a partner and that he, Barry Fife, would win and therefore set himself up for this generation of VHS tapes. VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, and that has, that has like, that has had an impact on Doug and Shirley's marriage. Marriage. Since then. Like, that is the untold story here. Like the, yeah. the the like lack of detail we have about the impact that that's had on their marriage, and yet the way in which it definitely seeps into every moment that they're oh, on screen totally. together is amazing. Oh my god, the bit I think that the the most emotional part of the whole movie for me is um, when love is in the air comes on. Oh, oh don't even. It is the best piece of hand acting oh. since 2005's Pride and Prejudice. Yes, yeah. It's the obsession. If if it was made now, yeah. we, you know, the girls online would be absolutely clipping yeah. it and just being like, this, this, this. 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 But it's like, Doug, them sort of like finally yeah. airing what has destroyed this marriage, yeah. which is that he said, you should have been with me for richer or poorer or yeah. whatever. And her being like, we wouldn't have won. It's like, like you didn't, didn't win. And he's like, yeah, anyway. your fault. It's like, they are dying in the embers of this yeah. dream. And, and he just like, they've aired it now. It's out there. Yeah. They've never said it. And, and he just reaches for her. Reaches for her. And the and it's like, because she's this, this insane character who yeah. like always has this smile painted on her face. Yeah. It's like, I've got my happy face on yeah. today. Happy face, happy face. Happy face, happy face. And she's just this, this little kind of crumpled, yeah. sort of like half frown, half smile. And she just like offers her hand up <laughs> so as beautiful. if like, she's like, I'm willing to try this yeah, marriage again. I can try this. We can we start can again. This. We can start again. We can oh. like, and we will be more honest this time. Yeah. We will have had this conversation that's been boiling under and and for him like she kept running this dance like she's there every yeah. day this is and her he's thing. there every day he's there every day like downstairs with his records and his memories like it has yeah. not been a thing that they don't talk about that doesn't really impact on them it lives in them every yeah. day this betrayal oh. that neither of them really understand no or they understand wrongly because they like, haven't talked because they haven't it. talked about it because of gender because of gender <laughs> Because you don't talk about things. Yeah. I remember I heard this inspirational speaker once who I don't rate, but she really had, sometimes they hit <laughs> sure. on something once. But she said, um, you know, men are taught to live in their bodies and women are taught to live in their minds and then we expect them to live together. And I just think that's very real. That is very real. We keep missing each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that is why lesbians be crazy. <laughs> Two people in their minds all the time. <laughs> oh no, it's 3D chess and it's in space. <laughs> it's in space. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, Do you have wow. anything else to say? I'm I'm actually I'm just gonna look at my notes. Okay. 
I've just written down a lot of <laughs> just written down a lot of quotes. The one big fine. scene we haven't spoken about is um the perhaps 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 scene. Mm. And I have nothing specific to say other than I just find it so beautiful. Yeah. And when I had a Bebo account, which Bebo was the big thing in Ireland, my sure. MySpace never hit, but you could embed a video. Oh. It was the perhaps, perhaps, perhaps scene. I, I really understand that. Yeah. I think that that makes sense to me. It, it feels like a very, it is just beautiful. It's, it's really yeah. classy. It's really stunningly done. It's just full of quietness. Mm. It's a much quieter song than most of the other songs in yeah. the film. But it's and it builds in a way that yeah. just I, I just think he's really good at music. Like I'm really glad that but the Baz Luhrmann soundtracks have always been very like yes. important moments. in the films. They're real yeah. moments. And I think he is very good at going like, what is the perfect thing to give yeah. you that feeling you want? in that moment I think he does it extraordinarily well and even as much as I didn't like that Elvis movie the ways in which Uh, the music moments yeah the importance of music and the way in which music is part of the storytelling are tremendous his sort of like musical awakening moment is one of the best things I've seen in a long time it's just I didn't like the rest of the movie yeah I didn't like the rest of the stuff around it but yes it is amazingly done and that real like acknowledgement of the importance of music yeah. and what music does is amazing and even Gatsby for all of its oh, yeah, failings totally. which are many that soundtrack that soundtrack bangs. slaps yeah 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 it's really good mm. I am always you know um, so I, I looked up yesterday I was doing like reading on Baz Luhrmann and I did a lot of reading on everyone yesterday found mm. out Paul Mercurio now a Labour MP huh yeah he went on to be a judge on Strictly Come Dancing in Australia uh-huh. um, and and he's done a bunch of other things at various yeah. points but now he is a Labour MP in nice. a marginal seat very that. nice yeah. love that for him um, but I was looking at what Baz Luhrmann is like doing next and he's just been in the past month like potentially brought up in conversation to direct another one of the Disney live action remakes mm. of Tangled mm. And I don't know that we need loads of Disney live action remakes, but no. I really understand why you'd be like, I want this man to make a musical. That's it. Tangled, um, not, I know it's a big one for a lot of people, not a big one for me, but I do think it's got some good songs. So. It's got some great songs. And I, yeah. I think it's beautiful. I really love, I, yeah. I, I really love the imagery in it. And I can imagine a live action remake of like the Festival of Lights and all yeah. of that being quite staggeringly beautiful. Yeah. And I can imagine him doing something like that. But I'm, I'm genuinely, the thing is, I am always chasing the feeling of the Red Curtain trilogy. Mm. I will see everything he does until the end of time. I will I will yeah. go and see every film he ever makes. I think that Strictly Ballroom is such a debut in the best possible mm-hmm. sense, like meaning of that, in that it is a story he was burning to tell. He grew up with a mum who worked in a dance school. Yeah, he danced. He danced. He? he went to drama school. He understands like the importance of storytelling and of community making art and of throwing your life into this whole thing Mm. and he wanted to tell that story and it's like it really plays like a debut but you know I am still in love with what he makes I just recently and I say recently the past 15 years have not loved it um but I think that his films remain deeply part of me and and it always feels really nice to go like oh what's he gonna do next for yeah, for all of the I haven't enjoyed his later work, I can still props to him for them being big swings. Yeah, you know I mean? this is it. Like he makes, he's really specific about what he makes. He yeah, is, he is, he is. And I don't like it, but I know he does. Right, 
and, and that he, actually matters more. That, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? And he's a director in that real sense of like he's mm. got such a clear style, he's got yeah. such a clear voice as a director, he's got such a clear thing he's trying to achieve. And regardless of whether I like it or not, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. And and that we very much need to keep those directors yes, totally going totally. because otherwise we end up with just a slew of anonymous looking fucking movies. Yeah. Which this movie, this, this, this podcast it's just is not, all against. It's yeah. not. And, yeah. It, and, and, and yeah, nobody could ever accuse. You texted me yesterday when you were like mm. five minutes in. You were like, I had forgotten how much this yeah. film is. Like, oh, it just, just sort of comes out the gate like yeah. a fucking nervous greyhound and just yeah. yeah. It could not have been made by anybody else. And yeah. that is a really great thing to be able to say of a piece of art. I have to say that the, the older I get and the more I, you know, write for screen myself yeah and like which i is gonna you know i, I often refer to screenwriting on this and it's like it'll be years before i get anything no made. sure because and that's I, how know, screen works exactly and you know i was 19 when i started my first blog i was 26 when i got my first novel published yeah. so when i'm about 38 i might have something you might have something lit. yeah exactly right now i'm at school yeah um but the more i i am exposed to how difficult it is to get things made oh yeah the more i am simply moved by original things getting made at all yes so like Strictly Ballroom the first five minutes I was already crying just because I was like this is so specific yeah and so and, mental and weird <laughs> yeah and not like you you can't go to a pitch meeting and say it's X meets X yeah it's like no I'm trying to do something new yeah I'm trying to do this thing that people aren't doing that's and that's it. a that's a hard thing to pitch we know that's a hard thing to pitch and we should really wrap up because we're running out of time but um, I think as well People can roll their eyes at like, oh, yeah, it's a classic Forbidden Love, Romeo and Juliet, West Side Story, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. You know, she takes off her glasses movie. But it's like we need the tropes of very well-loved stories where all the beats are automatic in order to like, they're the the Gavin and Stacey's. They're the the, the hen poles that we host the circus around. And I think people who are like, oh, here we go. She'll take her glasses off. They're kind of missing the point. They're missing the point because the circus is so good. The circus, man. The circus. (laughs) It's just great. Love the circus. Love the circus. And I love you. And now we gotta go. (laughs) Now we gotta go. Thanks, Kate. Thank you, Caroline. Oh, shit. Let's do a plug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, every time you've been on this podcast before, you've been like, I have a novel coming out, but it's so far away that we might as well not talk about it. And mm-hmm. now it's not so very far away. It's not so very far away. It's like eight months away, which yeah. it still feels like ages. But we are doing an event about it. We are. In two months. Yeah. So I, for the first time, in, in two months' time, you will be able to come to Stroud Book Festival in Stroud, where I live, mm-hmm. and listen to me and Caroline talk about my novel, Experienced, and you will be able to take a copy home, a proof copy home, six months before publication. I didn't know this was a thing. Apparently, I've never heard of this. I don't know. They only do things like this when they're pretty sure the book is going to be a big fucking deal. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank um, you for that. Yeah, I, I have this week uh, had an email that says, great, we're ready for a copy edit. So I, I now feel like I have done my edits mm-hmm. and that the book is a, a whole. Mm. Um, but for everyone who does not live near Stroud, it will be coming out in May next year in lots of different places, which is very fun. Yeah. It's a big gay rom-com. It's going to be great. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.